Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What's going down? Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down. My name is Kenny McIntosh and you might hear that I sound a bit strange and it's because I'm in a cabin tethering on a hotspot to try and bring you guys, the man that you want to hear what he thinks of all of the big wrestling from this weekend. It's of course Mr. Finley Martin. Finn, how are you today? Kenny, I'm okay. You sound very different for the reasons you've just explained. In some ways, I think you sound better. Maybe I should just, you know, move, move to a cruise ship, be there all the time. Maybe that's the way to go. Well, exactly. Why not? I mean, let's basically, you're pretty much permanently on holiday anyway, aren't you? <laughs> fair. fair. I'll, t- I'll take that jab. I'll take that jab. But there was there was lots of wrestling this weekend, so we couldn't really... You, sometimes we could miss a week, but it just didn't feel like we could do it this week. Oh, no, I was just thinking to myself, I mean, this was like WrestleMania levels of busyness in the wrestling biz. I haven't even had a chance to watch Under Siege yet. Everyone, from what I've read, it was a really good show. Uh, watched Night of Champions. I've watched Battleground. I've watched Double or Nothing. I mean, you know, it's been a busy weekend for wrestling fans. And uh, some really good stuff as well, I think. Uh, I think both companies put on some, uh, you know, put on some good matches. Yeah, I would agree, 100%. So obviously, we're not going to be able to tackle everything from both shows in an hour. So I'm just going to kind of go through the all the big stuff that I think is just worth a mention. So uh, let's kick off with Night of Champions. Um, they opened the show with Seth Rollins and AJ Styles in the finals for the WWE World Heavyweight title. They were very uh, deliberate on commentary and telling you this is going to be the workhorse title. And Seth Rollins, as I think we all predicted, got the win in the end in just about 20 minutes. Um, what did you think of the match? And how did they do in terms of trying to position this as an important belt? I thought they did. A, I thought that I enjoyed the match. I think this was Styles' best performance in a long time. I know that's not saying a whole lot. He hasn't really done a whole lot. He's been injured since last year and he's only recently returned. But I thought he felt to me like AJ, he seemed like a big deal in this match partly because he was vying for the title in the final of a tournament, partly because he was in there against Seth Rollins, partly because he was on a huge show. I mean, the production in Saudi is out of this world, state of the art. I mean, you watch it and it's like, 
could the Olympics do better? I mean, it just looks so amazing, the shows with the lasers and the lights and the the whole package is just A1. Um, so, I mean, I think I was perhaps expecting a little bit more from this match than it does. But um, I think it was really good. I think it a outcome. We all wanted, I think most of us wanted Seth Rollins to win. And it was funny, really, actually, on commentary. Um, Corey, Grace, Corey Graves said that um, um, if uh, AJ Styles wins, then maybe he'll have to go and work on Raw. And the Marco Cole said, no, he will have to. So they cleared <laughs> that one up. Um, I like the way as well that they actually mentioned that this was a brand new title. Because it seemed like there were some mixed messages coming from WWE as to whether or not this had any link with a championship from the past. But they made a point of saying, no, this is a brand new title. You know, this is it. This is day one for the belt here. So I thought that was really good that they made that point clear. Um, after Rollins won, Triple H presented him with... I think the only thing that it was missing was a post-match handshake. I feel like it really did need one of those for AJ Styles, because they were both baby faces, of course. I really felt like AJ Styles should have put the belt around Seth Rollins' waist and held his arm up to really endorse him as champ and, yeah, the better man win on, win on the night. That was the only thing that was really, you know, that was conspicuous that was missing from the match to me. What did you think to it, Kenny? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really good match. I thought they did a good job of kind of trying to put it over as something important. And yeah, I'm with you. I think this was AJ's best performance in years. Um, he finally felt like he was part of something relevant. So, and when, on Thursday, we'll talk about uh, Raw, where AJ was on that show as well. So the brand split is alive and well. Um, but we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a good opener. Um, but Finn, I, w- I do want to ask you quickly about Becky yeah. Lynch and Trish Stratus. Um, who both came out with great gear on. But Trish is 47 years old, and she went almost 15 minutes here in this match. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I like the the costumes. They look like superheroes, don't they? It's like watching Guardians of the Galaxy or the Avengers or something. And um, I think I actually, I thought Asuka's costume was the best costume she's ever worn in her WWE career. Wow. And um, I, I think the costumes look great that they've got to wear out there. And it seems, I mean, they've been wrestling now out there for how many years? Was it 2019, I think they started? Was it yes. Natalia and Lacey Evans, I think, was the first women's match, I believe? Yeah, it was. They've come a long way from the baggy T-shirts over the catsuits. Yes. And um, I just think we've got used to it now. These costumes are normalised in our minds. And... Um, yeah, I, I think it works really well. I, I thought the match, it fell apart a little bit towards the end. I liked it at the beginning because they kept it simple. I mean, they were just doing like really basic stuff. I thought Trish was healing really well. I thought Lynch had a really good night here. She was in position. There was good energy. They kept it moving. They didn't try to do too many overly complicated things until later in the match. And there was a few problems towards the end. But I think overall, this was far better than I thought it was going to be. Um, so, yeah, good performance by Trish. And I thought Lynch was um, Lynch was a real, came across as a ring general here, really holding this thing together. Uh, but the thing I liked about it the most was the way that it was just laid out. Really basic stuff, really basic heel stuff. 
And I think a lot of people could learn a lot from this match. It's just keep it simple. Just do the things you can do well. And we should also mention Zoe Stark. Big night for her being aligned with Trish yeah. here, costing Becky the match. I mean, that's a, 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 you know, you've got to be pretty happy if you're Zoe Stark that you're injected into this feud because that just makes her feel so much bigger than if she was on her own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Zoe Stark, I think she's a really good in-ring performer, but personality, it's, you know, out of 10, two out of 10, I'd give Zoe in the personality department. Well, maybe only one out of 10, actually. Uh, so, I mean, I think she needs Trish to, to give her a little lift there. But I think as an in-ring performer, she's really good in the ring and mechanics. She's obviously very athletic. She can really go. Um, but, I mean, as far as promos and connection with the audience, that's something I thought she was always going to struggle with on the main roster. So this association with Trish, I think, is going to be really good for her. It means that Stratus doesn't need to be on TV every week. It gives... Um, Becky Lynch, someone to wrestle when Trish disappears, because I can't imagine she's going to be there every week between now and SummerSlam or whenever they're going to have the rematch. Um, so, yeah, really good uh, spot for Zoe. Uh, then we had the Gunther and Mustafa Ali match for the IC title. We got a really cool video package on, uh, you know, uh, Ali kind of in his Muslim, his Muslim attire, talking about his faith and all that kind of stuff which is really nice to see. And then Gunther and Mustafa Ali had this kind of eight-and-a-half-minute match that I've got to be honest, Finn, I thought was tremendous. I thought these two just nailed this. I absolutely agree. It was the perfect match for its spot on the card um, and for what it was supposed to achieve. It didn't go... If it had gone, like, two minutes longer, that would have been too much. That would have been self-indulgent, and it would have been like well, we've got to give Ali more offense on Gunter than his character would would actually um, be able to mount or be able to achieve or be able to score on someone of Gunter's caliber. So I think it was, I think obviously Ali did far better here than he would have done had the match taken place in the States or Canada. But I think if it had gone any longer, it would have just felt, it would have felt natural. It would not have seemed like it was... And I think it would have been kind of disrespectful to Gunter as well. It would almost been a charity type booking, if you know what I mean, Kenny, where you would have been giving yeah. him more than he really deserved, given his position on the card. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really well done. Um, Ali was over. I mean, Gunter was enhanced. But at the same time, Gunter, I think, really enriched, enriched Ali before he beat him. I mean, it's just a, a, you know, a classic, not a classic match, but a classic Gunter performance. He did hear what he does better than almost anyone in wrestling. Yeah, it was almost a masterclass in how to put your opponent over in their defeat. I mean, yeah. it's it's a very, I mean, we're not wrestlers, but you know, we've watched enough of it. It's very hard to do. And I feel like he just knows what he's doing. Nobody ever comes out of a match with Gunther looking worse or looking like they need, you know, rehabilitated, which can happen with big stars sometimes. <laughs> That's so. it, yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we know some wrestlers... One guy in particular, and after you know, after wrestlers have been in the ring with him, they were usually on life support, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they were praying to a different JC after that one. But um, anyway, well, and, uh, I did want to ask you about. Obviously, we had Asuka and Bianca Belair. You were complimenting Asuka's gear earlier. I did think this was the one match in Night of Champions that didn't really deliver as well as it could have. It just the crowd went that into it. So the finish was pretty clever. But Asuka does win the belt here. I know you, you've you been kind of 
saying for a while that the Bianca Belair as champ experiment is time for it to end. Were you happy to see it end here in Jeddah? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the match at Backlash was, you know, a bit of an anomaly because the crowd was so into Eel Sky. And um, that almost seemed like it was going to prolong Bianca's reign further. But that was an aberration, that match, clearly. And it didn't feel like the audience um, in Saudi had a connection um, with Bianca, which... It's sort of strange, really, because she's been obviously been champion for a very long time and she's been doing this for a long time as well. Um, in fact, it felt to me like a lot of people were cheering for Asuka and there was more of a sort of, ground, I wouldn't say groundswell of support, but there was some support for her to win and to dethrone Bianca Belair here, which she did do um, after she uh, blew the mist on her uh, fingers and then like put the mist in the... Uh, uh, Bianca's eyes as Bianca went for the KOD um, and then Bianca dropped Asuka and you know Asuka then went for the uh, and then Asuka then hit kicks and scored and scored the pin so yeah Asuka left the uh, ring as the new Royal Women's Champion I think it was the right outcome at the right time and um, I'm not sure what Bianca Belair does next I think she's in a really tough spot um, yeah I'm not sure if she can play heel but it sort of feels like she needs to do something quite drastic Otherwise, I think her career is going to drop off a cliff. I just don't feel like she's really that motivated anymore by pro wrestling. So I think she needs to prove to us that she's, you know, really still hungry for it. Otherwise, I fear that, you know, this could be pretty much the beginning of the end of Bianca's big time career. What do you think, Kenny? Yeah, I think something needs to something needs to happen with Bianca. I was talking to Sandra about this match on Patreon, and one of the things that I said that I think is just worth repeating here is because you you were fairly critical of that sell job she did on The Mist on TV, right, before the pay-per-view um, when she kind of was yeah. you know, really overselling it and I think part of the problem with sure. Bianca is that I've seen her in, in real life situations when you interview her or whatever and she's very genuine, very nice but sometimes I feel like her acting is so phony that it comes across and I think it, it hinders her in how she comes across on TV and you know, Cena would, I mean, I don't want to compare everything to Cena. Cena kind of got away with it because he was such a massive star by the time he yeah. became, because when Cena was on the rise, he was a different kind of hammy. I mean, he was hammy, but he wasn't like Anto Dame levels of hammy. He only started that when he was like so big that he could kind of do whatever he wanted. But Bianca's not at that level. So I think that she has to, whether it's a heel turn, whether it's uh, enhancing herself as a baby face, she needs to do something to up the game, I think. Yeah, definitely. And there were some moments here as well with, you know, it's ironic that she massively oversold the mist and then totally undersold the Fujiwara armbar. She didn't even bother selling that at all. She's done this before and I pointed this out before. Um, and then, you know, later in the match, Asuka applied another submission hold and Bella didn't sell that either. And it's like she doesn't grasp these basics after all this time. And that's, you know, very disappointing to me because it's like she's not a student of the game. And she's not sitting down and trying to learn what she could do and studying her matches and trying to improve, uh, which is odd because, like, like, you look at Montez Ford, that's a student of pro wrestling. She's got all these people around her that she can learn from. And it's like there's almost like, you know, similarities there with Cena. that she just feels like, right, I'm over now. I don't really need to do anything more than I'm already doing. And he's not as over as Cena was. I hope this match was a wake-up call for a Kenny. We'll see. 
Yeah, finger, fingers crossed. Well, up next we had we'll very quickly Rhea Ripley squash Natalia. We don't really need to go into that because uh, you know, but Dominic was great here in the celebration with uh, with Rhea. Um, but the the next big match was, of course, Brock. Can Lesnar. I just say, Kenny, that Natalia yeah. des- Can I just say, Kenny? Can I just say, Natalia deserved it. She came out smiling, doing selfies with the fans. She wasn't taking this match seriously. She deserved to be squashed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she she didn't exactly make it seem like it was the biggest match of her career or anything. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, it's just more interested in like putting putting smiles on fans' faces, you know. Classic Natalia, classic Natalia. Um, listen, up next in the show we had Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar, the big grudge match. Cody's got the broken arm going into it, and they had this kind of big fight feel match for about nine minutes, and in the end, Brock. Uh, wins as Cody passes out in the Kimura. What did you make of this match, Finn, in terms of us going 1-1 now, maybe it continuing? Did they do a good job in sort of putting this across? Yeah, I think they did a really good job here. I mean, we we predicted on last week's podcast that this is how it would play out. I mean, it was fairly obvious the broken arm storyline was going to play, was going to basically be the that was going to be the hub around which the match revolved and it was going to be the thing that determined the finish that was going to be the big factor here so lesnar targeted the arm you know and worked the submission really did the uh, major sort of you know sell on the um, on the submission i thought cody was was really effective in in the way that he made his comebacks, you know, never say die baby face. And um, so I, I thought he worked really well here also. Uh, but this had to be Lesnar's night. I mean, Lesnar, had he lost this match? I'm not, I mean, obviously he's a guy that can take a, a loss, but I think had he lost here to Cody, when Cody went into it with a broken arm, I think people would have thought, thought less of Lesnar afterwards. So he absolutely needed to win this one. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Um, of course, we didn't have the submission or the tap. We didn't have the tap out, or you know, it had to be a stoppage finish. Top faces in WWE do not tap out. We know this. Um, yeah, I thought it was really well done. I mean, Cody was really disappointed afterwards. He just looked like he'd been through, been to hell and back. I thought Lesnar really sold the punishment that he took. Um, you know, Rhodes had hit the Cody cutter and the crossroads, and he hit a second crossroads. So, I mean, Lesnar really sold for Rhodes. I mean, he said as well as anyone in pro wrestling. So, I thought this was out this to his time pretty much perfectly and at the ending protected everyone and I think it delivered a lot of action by Lesnar 
that's now standards. This was a long match for Kenny in 2023. Yeah, 100%. It, it was, it was a, he, and I thought it went the right amount of time. I thought the time that they gave it was perfect for the yeah. injury angle that they were trying to tell that story, right? So, um, yeah, it was full throttle, big energy. You know, going for it from start to finish, which is how Lesnar's matches are laid out. That's what we expect, and pretty much demand them now. There's no, you know, rest holds, you know, pauses. It's just get down to business, get in there, you know, go for it and get out of there. And that was very much the story of this match. Well, it is time to talk about the main event, which, you know, there's so much to unpack here with Sammy and KO coming out with Sammy and his traditional, uh, you know, his traditional garb and, you know, getting to do the Arabic promo. Um, the crowd were just so into Sammy Zayn on this show. He was the star of the show. And then they have this killer tag match in the main event, which eventually we see, you know, a great ref bump. The Usos come out. And then the Usos inadvertently superkick Solo Sokoa when they try to superkick Sami Zayn. And then Roman Reigns pie faces both the Usos. He's dressing them down. And then out of nowhere, Jimmy Uso superkicks Roman Reigns. Jay's just, you know, shocked, doesn't know what to do. And Jimmy says, I'm your brother, not him. Superkicks Roman again and takes Jay away as Jay reluctantly leaves. And this allows Sammy and KO to pin Solo Sokoa and they get the big win, retain the title. So I could not be more happier to be wrong, Finn, with my prediction here. What did you make of all this drama? I mean, I think we predicted um, all the matches prior to this one. We correctly predicted the outcomes last week when we uh, we did a uh, our Night of Champions yeah. uh, preview. And this was the only match that whose outcome I did not predict correctly. And I'm pleased that I was uh, incorrect as well. And um, this was day 1000 for Roman Reigns as champion. Um, it did seem unlikely to me that he would lose here because he's got his championship celebration this week on SmackDown, right? So that's, you know, I kind of thought that this would play into that. But I'm I'm really pleased that I was wrong. And you're right, Sami Zayn was the star of the show. He was so over. Um, and this is, I think, you know, we go back to Montreal Elimination Chamber, a lot of people saying, well, this was, it was a terrible result for Sami. He should have won there. And you can see now that it was the right outcome on the night for him to lose because Roman as champion is far more valuable as, Roman as champion is far more valuable in his current position than he would have been if he'd lost the tag, if he'd lost the belts. I mean, and this match wouldn't have the same sort of sizzle to it if Reigns wasn't double champ. So I think that all played out exactly as it should have done. Um, but yeah, the the uh, the Usos running in at the end there and uh, accidentally uh, su- double super kicking solo. Roman Reigns was at ringside. He couldn't believe it. He went back into the ring and admonished Jimmy and Jay. And then they'd had enough. And as you said, Jimmy super kicked Roman and then Jay was beside himself. It's like, what are you doing? And Jimmy's saying to Jay, hold on, you know, we're brothers. We've got to stick together here. And then he super kicks him again. And then, you know, Zayn ended up pinning solo. Of course, Reigns wasn't going to do the job, nor should he have done. Um, And afterwards, Reigns was really devastated by the loss. And I think more importantly, the loss of control in the bloodline. So, I mean, this was a real storyline you know, advancer, really move things along. 
in a big way that I think a lot of us, I think we, we've all known for a while that there was going to be a split between Jimmy and Jay and Solo and Roman, but I wasn't expecting it Night of Champions. I thought that might have happened a little bit later, um, but it's very exciting. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens at uh, Money in the Bank in July. You know, is it going Jimmy and Jay is Solo and Roman? Kind of feels like that would be a natural match for that event, doesn't it? It does, but the match that I feel like, because one of the things I think they did really well here and they should be commended for is they gave us this big moment with Jimmy, but they also kept the J thing for the future. So we yeah. didn't get every bit of it given to us, but we we got a, a, a piece of storyline progression that was really important. I mean, to me, I think it would be great if at Money in the Bank, we got Jimmy Uso against Roman Reigns. I think that could be great. And you know you can you can hold off on whose side Jay's going to pick for another month, and you can kind of keep because you know they've got so much time to tell all these stories with the bloodline yeah. and everybody who's kind of on the outer periphery, right? Like Cody or Brock, even there's loads of stories they can tell. So I think Jimmy's someone who's kind of always been kind of a back player, a back player compared to Jay or Roman, and I think it would be good to give Jimmy this kind of month and let him let's see what he can do in one of these big bloodline type matches where he's a focal point so i'm hoping they do that yeah i mean i i would prefer the tag match to take place at money in the bank and if jimmy and jay were to win again and jimmy were to score the pin then jimmy faces roman at SummerSlam. that's a SummerSlam level match yeah you could so i would actually i would delay that until august do the tag match first um but you're right there's lots of different directions this can go in and, and I'm fascinated to, fascinated to see how this plays out on SmackDown this coming Friday. Uh, with Roman, will he attempt to reconcile with Jimmy and Jay? You know, how is he going to handle this one? And this is, a, you know, the biggest threat to his authority yet, isn't it? Because he's lost control here. Yeah, it, it was it was perfect. And, you know, like you say, that, that thousand day celebration on Friday, everyone's going to be glued to that now to see what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued. And I, I, I do want to ask you before we move on, Finn, in terms of, do you think this is one of the, the best years for WWE pay-per-views ever? Because when you think about Rumble, the two nights of Mania, Backlash, and Night of Champions, it feels that like they are on a really stellar run this year. Yeah, I, I can't think of a better one. I mean, I was... I was thinking about it and I was asked a question uh, in Q&A in the latest issue of Insider Rocks magazine. You know, is Roman Reigns now like one of the best all-rounders ever? I was like, my response to that was, yes, he is. He deserves to be on that top 10 list. And I was thinking about it. I was like, well, go back and look at Raw Rumble with the match with Owens and the post-match angle was just awesome. Elimination Chamber, the match with Sami Zayn was one of the best matches of the year. You look at his match with Cody at WrestleMania. That was killer as well. And this tag team match at Night of Champions, I don't know whether there was that much interest in it. I mean, I think there was, but it didn't feel as big as those any of those three matches. But it absolutely delivered colossally. I mean, it was just amazing. And I think you look at the overall show quality and the level of... You know, obviously it wasn't at Backlash, but Backlash was a really good show as well. To go back to your question of, is this, a, you know, a banner year for WWE in terms of premium live events? And I think it is. I mean, they're on an inc- I can't think of a run that's been better than this ever. I mean, they had some really good shows in 2000. 
And there's been other years where they've had some really good runs of pay-per-views or premium live events as they're now called. But I, I just I don't think they can they've ever been close to what they produced in 2023. It's it's you know the consistency has been quite extraordinary, hasn't it, really? And you think the big matches have all been so memorable as well. Yeah, and you, you, there's a lot of credit I think is deserved to other players as well. You know, because obviously the the Roman stuff is the key, but you know you've got people like uh, the Usos, you've got Dominic and Ray who've brought a lot of stuff. Rhea Ripley who's done really well in her role. Like there's lots of undercard players who you know be, uh, Bianca and Io Sky last month they had a great match. Yeah. Bad Bunny. So there's a lot of people who are sort of riding that sort sort of bloodline wave and and using it, and it's it's great. So. Long may it continue. Yeah, I, I think it's motivated lots of people to set up, step up. I mean, they say, don't they? It's a cliche, rising tide lifts all boats. <laughs> and that's what's supposed to happen, isn't it? Yeah. And it does feel like people are really hungry and really motivated to go out there and, and just deliver the best match or best performance that they possibly can on the night. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it does feel like it's looking like the best year the company's ever had. And I know some people would say, well, that's sacrilege because look at the Attitude Era. Well, you go back and you watch some of those Attitude Era pay-per-views and you try and stack them up next to Backlash or WrestleMania. And okay, yeah, WrestleMania 17 was a really good show. Of course it was. But I mean, a lot of that Attitude Era content, I mean, you'd have a really strong Steve Austin or very energetic Steve Austin man event and maybe be one or two good matches on the undercard but there was so much dross produced during that era wasn't there Kenny on pay-per-view yeah I think you know I think people I mean I'm I'm very guilty of having a nostalgia for that time because of how hot the product was and there was these epic moments but when you think about an actual full pay-per-view yeah you can't really compare it to today because I mean today you wouldn't get someone like who was really terrible um like you wouldn't you wouldn't get like the disciples of apocalypse on no. like a pay-per-view today you know even like if you were to say someone like baron corbin who i guess people would would associate as like the doa of today he's much better in the ring than they were so it's like even the people who you're not that fussed about are better than you know the worst the, the people who were bad in the attitude so yeah a great year for WWE, and long may it continue with it uh, i think money in the bank will keep the trend going oh absolutely i mean that's that's Nearly always a count this show because the ladder matches and nearly always deliver thrills and spills and historic moments. And um yeah, I think and I think the, the crowd will be really into it. It's a tremendous venue, the O2 for wrestling. So um, I think that's gonna be a really good show as well. Yeah, I love the uh, the James Bond-esque ads that they had for Money in the Bank on Net of Champions. It was very good. So um Anyway, let's move on to Double or Nothing and talk about the big happenings from that show. Um, neither of us got a chance to see the the buy-in. Um, so I know the Hardys and Hook defeated Ethan Page in the Gun Club on that uh, buy-in. But um, on the main pay-per-view, we opened the show with the Blackjack Battle Royal for the international title, where Orange Cassidy was uh, victorious in the end. He defeated Swerve Strickland. Uh, they were the last two. And the crowd were really into this uh, opening Battle Royal fin, and they really sort of seemed very behind Orange Cassidy, and it almost then came to the detriment of the second match, Adam Cole and Chris Jericho, which just seemed to not have any heat whatsoever. What did you make to that? Yeah, I mean, that's very unusual, isn't it, for AEW crowds? Because 
generally what happens is maybe you get to match three or four and the audience has sort of worn themselves out and they need a little rest. And there's a match maybe four, three, four, five matches in, which suffers because of audience fatigue. And it just felt here like match number two, they were just like, God, we could do with a rest, lads. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to the bar. You know, I need some uh, some refreshment. And when you think about it, AEW would put a lot into the hype and the feud and the story and the tension between Adam Cole and Chris Jericho. So the audience should have been, I think, more interested in this match than they were. I mean, it was very odd, wasn't it? Here's the, the other the, the other thing to bear in mind, just to back up your point, is in the past, and this is something that, you know, fair credit to Tony Khan because he's realised that they used to put so much stuff on the buy-in that you were exhausted by the time the pay-per-view started because there'd be four or five matches on those. So, you know, he has cut that back. So, you, it, you know, th- this is essentially the third match the live crowd are seeing, so they shouldn't really be tired. And I, no. I, I wonder if it's just, is it that Adam Cole and Chris Jericho, in terms of how they are as wrestlers, it just didn't click? Like, did the crowd just not buy it? I don't know. It didn't It didn't feel to me like a bad match, but it's not a match that I think I would go back and revisit. And they did have bells and whistles. You know, they had Saray and Britt Baker. They had Sabu, obviously. Um, yep. It was unsanctioned, so they could do lots of things that they wouldn't have been able to do in an ordinary match. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was gimmick gimmicks galore, weren't they? There was shortcuts and diversions and all the extras to help. It still flopped with a live crowd. Um, yeah, I mean, the opening back royal, yeah, I mean, Orange Cassidy won. He last eliminated Swerve Strickland. I think this was a really good performance for Strickland, who's a guy who... I mean, it's Keith Lee feud just feels like... I mean, they did have a confrontation in the match, didn't they? Keith Lee and Stuart yeah, yeah, yeah. Strickland. It's like, oh, God, can we can we please move on? I mean, this just feels like it's been going on forever. Um, but I think Swerve had a good night here. He was last man eliminated. And you're right, the audience um, were really behind Orange and really detested, or won't detested, but disliked Swerve Strickland, maybe not detested. Detested <laughs> is too strong a word. Um, and yeah, it was well received. I did feel for Jay White Kenny, though, where he was eliminated rather easily by Ricky Starks. And just feel like everything I wrote, I wrote a column back in March before Jay White had made his decision or before Jay White's decision became public that he was signing with AEW. And I urged him to join WWE. And I explained what would go wrong if he were to join AEW. And all those things have come true. And um, I just, I just, I just think he's already permanently typecast as a second match guy in AEW. I just, I think he's made a huge career blunder. Um, as far as Adam Cole and Chris Jericho goes, yeah, I mean, part of the problem I think Kenny is a huge weight difference. Cole is so slight; he's lost so much weight. Jericho just, just seemed like a muscle mountain in comparison. So it almost didn't feel like a fair fight, you know. Like Jericho's in there with his like, who's this little guy that Jericho's in with? Because when Adam Cole tried to do the Panama Sunrise on Jericho, it was like he barely got it. Barely, because there was such a difference in weight. Yeah. And, you know, Britt Baker came out for the big revenge moment, clobbered Jericho with the kendo stick. And then Soraya came out and then Baker chased Soraya to the back. And there was a, that gave the match a huge injection of life, didn't it? Huge boost when Britt came out. And to me, 
that should have been just before the finish. And instead, the match carried on and on and on. I think they were out there too long as well, Kenny. And they just used too many gimmicks and it just felt like gimmick overkill by the end. And then the finish was an absolute flop, wasn't it? You know, yeah. That stoppage. Crowd, crowd just weren't into it. I mean, I do I do give props to Jericho and again, putting, putting somebody over, you know, taking the loss. But I just don't feel Adam Cole really got in, got anything out of this. I'm way more interested in the mixed tag that we're going to get with Adam Cole and Britt Baker against Saraya and Jericho, which tells you a lot that Saraya and Britt are the ones who are going to add to this feud when really, you know, they shouldn't need anybody else to add to it if, if it's a good enough feud. Well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, we'll see how much plays out. But to me, the ref stoppage just simply was not believable. I mean, yeah. Cole was, you know, they'd ha- Cole and Jericho were handcuffed together. And I'm not saying there should have been blood in this match because there was blood elsewhere. And, um, you know, if you do too much blood, it obviously devalues it and you become desensitized to it. But it just didn't feel like Cole was beating Jericho down badly enough at the end for it to be a stoppage finish. And fans rejected the outcome. So, and that was unfortunate for Cole because this was his retribution match wasn't it and ostensibly he exacted that retribution by beating the hell out of Jericho but no one was happy with it so very strange outcome uh, we then had FTR taking on Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal I mean I loved this match I can't describe how much I loved it uh, the moment where Karen Jarrett hits Aubrey Edwards with a guitar fin I thought we wanted to see that for a while Aubrey finally getting her just desserts. Um, but yeah, what did you make of this match that went over? I thought they got the crowd back by the end of this one. Yeah, they did do. I mean, I like the outcome. I mean, I don't want to see Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett as tag team title challengers again. Um, I mean, I think the story played out well with Matt Briscoe as well. And um, Jarrett, you know, lost his temper with Matt Briscoe when he didn't score a three count later in the match. And then attacked Matt Briscoe and Briscoe as the babyface rep. He made the big comeback. He clobbered Jarrett. And then uh, FTR hit the uh, big ring on Jarrett and Dax pinned Jarrett for the one, two, three. I mean, the only thing I would say about it, Kenny, was a lot happened again. And we had, it felt like match number two was overbooked with all the add ons and the extras. Mm hmm. And this had loads of add-ons and extras as well. So we're already feeling like we've entered booking overkill territory and it's the third match on the show. So I would have liked to have seen the match be a little cleaner than it was in terms of just, you know, don't include all that extracurricular stuff because it just, you know, you really want to sort of use that sparingly so it's more effective. So that would be my objection to what they did but i'm glad that ftr won i hope they move on now i'm not sure they're going to wrestle next i mean presumably they saved ricky stacks from an attack backstage from by from jay white and juice robinson so i imagine they're going to be in a six-man tag at forbidden door i would think i would think jay white and juice will be with a new japan guy so it'll lead to a six-man at uh, forbidden door but not sure who ftr are going to wrestle next in the tag ranks but yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was okay. Um, um, yeah, I I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was tons of fun. Um, up next, we got Wardlow and Christian Cage in a ladder match for the TNT title. 
Um, you know, Wardlow, it felt like he was in this match going, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get this crowd to like me again and to, um, you know, to, and to get some of that buzz back that he had before. And I felt like for me, you know, at least Christian wasn't doing loads of crazy stuff, which we were concerned he might do in this match. But the thing for me that was kind of the asterisk as to why this match wasn't as good as it could have been was I think Arn Anderson is just absolutely done. As a performer, I just I don't think he's believable. I think when he was chewing Luchasaurus's thumb, it just looked rubbish. He fell over, which you know is like a metaphor for his career the last couple of years. Um, just not good. <laughs> I mean, do you buy Arn Anderson with Wardlow? Am I am I on an island of my own here of just not understanding why Anderson is is in this position? I just don't think he adds anything. No, I don't think he does. I mean, Wardlow's. You know, I think he's 36 or 37. He's been doing this for a good while now. I don't think, I don't know, I could never understand why Arn Anderson was part of Cody Rhodes' entourage. And I think he was a major detriment to Cody Rhodes when Cody was in AEW. And I would uh, echo those sentiments when it comes to Wardlaw. I have no idea why these two have been put together. Uh, You could see Arn when he came out, he can't, his knees are short, so he's really struggling to move. Um, He had like some sort of blood bag in his mouth. When he did that spot where he yeah. bit into Luchasaurus's thumb, and that just looked absurd. And then at the end of the match, he helped Wardlow defeat Christian Cage, and Wardlow's the babyface. So it looked like Wardlow couldn't beat Cage on his own, which is totally counterproductive. Also, the other thing about this match, and this kind of reminded me of Britt Baker, the booking of you know, the Adam Cole-Chris Jericho match earlier on the show, was the match peaked early when Wardlow hit this insane swanton off a massive ladder in the aisle onto Luciosaurus, who was lying on these tables. That's your peak. And then, oh, but that's not the finish of the match. So Wardlow's picking himself up out of the wreckage. Christian Cage appears at ringside. He goes and climbs the ladder to grab the um, TNT title belt. At this point, Arn Anderson sort of stops Cage from doing so. And then Wardlow shows up and, you know, he, he, I think he powerbombed Cage. And then, um, Cage, yeah, it was Cage fell off the ladder and he sort of grabbed him, hit the powerbomb, and then Wardlow climbed up and grabbed the belt to retain. So I don't really sure what this did for Wardlow. Um, just felt if, odd. If, if, and to me, sorry, Kenny. But no, yeah, it, it felt, but it felt like the stuff that Wardlow did to put to get himself over and get himself back to where he was, like that insane spot, which you know was crazy, and you know the fans loved it. It was like Arn Anderson was was hampering his push, like he was he was actually hurting the guy who he was with by being involved. I, I would, yeah, I agree. I mean, I have no idea why he was there. I mean, if you're a babyface, you overcome two on one odds, don't you? And then you look like a superhero. That's the whole. I mean, it's just basic booking. And instead, we had the babyface manager helping the babyface defeat the heel. So it was two faces against one heel at the end. To me, um, Wardlow should have smashed Christian Cage through the table if he was going to do that spot. And in a sense, you say, well, no, because Cage shouldn't be receiving bumps like this at this point in his career. And I agree, he shouldn't be. But if Wardlow took Cage out and then Luchasaurus had tried to stop Wardlow from grabbing the belt and Wardlaw, you know, dealt with um, Luchasaurus by himself and knocked him out of the ring and then climbed up the ladder and grabbed the belt. That would have been the way to book it. 
And Alan Anderson was just an encumbrance. He was just a more of a he was just a hindrance to the to the way the visual of the way this played out, wasn't it? I mean, it just looked like he had to help Wardlaw to win, and just it just didn't make any sense, Kenny. No, it didn't make a lot of sense. I do apologise, by the way, because there's a cabin announcement going on behind me, so if you can hear that, I do apologise. But the next match was Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm. We know Jamie Hayter was injured, and Tony Storm got the win here and won the belt. Uh, what did you make of the way they kind of tried to get out of it with uh, protecting Jamie's injury? Um, I mean, I think... I mean, the, the outcome was a real shock to people, wasn't it? I mean, again, we had loads of run-ins here. So we had the outcast beat up Hater before the match. Then Britt Baker suddenly arrived to help her friend. Where was Britt at this point? Um, so she finally arrived and ran off Soraya. Then Hikaru Shida ran off Ruby Soho. So again, we've just got this, you know, Vince Russo style overbooking, this blur of add-ons and just extras that are unneeded or unnecessary and just you know, detract from the main purpose of this. And then, so, you know, so we'd had all these run-ins. Um, so in the end, I mean, there was a really bad spot here at the end, Kenny, where there was an exposed turnbuckle. I think Ruby Soho had removed the turnbuckle pad and Storm was supposed to shove Hater into the exposed turnbuckle, but she didn't shove her. And Hater just ran into the turnbuckle and it looked terrible. And then Storm just hit the pile driver and that was it. And people were just like flabbergasted that Storm had won the match in the fashion that she had and she was now the champ. So, I mean, I can sort of understand what they were trying to trying to do with this, all these, you know, attack on Tater and so she would be protected and have an excuse for losing the belt. But I think the execution was poor. And again, it was just there was just muddled and too much going on. I think it should have been massively simplified. And that really is the whole message you have for the show, that it was just overly complicated and there was just too much going on in so many matches. So I don't think they achieved what they set out to do. And I thought Hater kind of looked weak at the end, Kenny. I mean, I do, I do wish it was anyone else bar, uh, bar, bar Tony Storm being the one to be champ because she's the kind of least interesting of all six or seven of the people that are involved in that story. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, I feel, I'm, I feel for Jamie Hayer, Kenny. I mean, she'd been champ for six months and the rain just was totally uneventful. You were just thinking, oh, it's going to get going next week. And it just never did. I know. And I feel bad for her because I feel like there was, I feel like it did feel like it was starting to go somewhere and it was going to build to the Soraya match. I'm hoping that she can get back in time for Wembley to do maybe the, the Soraya match or, or another match on that show. Um, I really like Jamie here and I, I wish the best for her. And, you know, props to her as well for coming out and dropping the belt here and kind of wanting to see it through. Uh, I mean, maybe Hater will receive a rematch for the title. Yeah. All in London. I mean, that would be a big match for her. And if they were to put the belt back on her there, I think that would be a huge moment in her career. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, listen, let's move on to the next title change. Um, we had Jade Cargill facing Taya Valkyrie for the TBS title. Uh, obviously, they'd had the match on TV. This was the rematch. Uh, I thought Jade's entrance actually was tremendous. Uh, I thought it was a really good entrance with, with backing dancers and she was doing a dance and all that. Taya had some dancers as well. Um, but Jade gets the win over Taya in under nine minutes and then she's 60 and 0. Mark Stone takes the mic and says, you know, it's an open challenge because nobody can beat her. 
Um, she challenges anyone for any time, any place, and out comes the returning Chris Statlander, and she defeats Jade in 48 seconds. The reign is over, Finn. Statlander's the new champ. What do you make of it? Well, I would like to give Jade Cargill some credit here. I thought this was her best match since the famous mixed tag match that she had, very mm-hmm. first match back in March of 2021, wasn't it? Yes. Um, I thought she, I thought, I mean, she, maybe she's improving, maybe it was tire, I don't know, but it didn't, doesn't matter who, 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 get, the credit goes to both because the match was the best thing I've seen Jade do in more than two years. So I actually quite enjoyed the match. And for me to say that about Jade Cargo matches, I never really thought I'd be saying these words out loud, but yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what Taya does now uh, because I feel like she's kind of served a purpose in AEW. I think that this might be it for her. But I thought she did a I thought she did well here. And I would have liked to have seen Jade Cargo leave double or nothing with the towel belt, Kenny. Because I felt like this was a breakthrough match for her. So for Mark Sterling to then just say there's no one left and there's an open challenge and then Chris Statlander returned first match since I think it was August 5th, 2022. And then she beat Cargill in, what was it, 48, 50 seconds or whatever it was. Yeah. I just thought he undid the good word that good work that Jade had done in the match with Taya. So, yeah, I'm just, I just don't really know what to make of any of it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, here I am giving Jed praise, but then she loses the belt in this kind of nothing match. I mean, I and guess the also... Thing... There you go. So, so also, Kenny, a, a heel has just retained the belt, right? So then a baby face comes out and faces a heel who's just had a fairly long match. So it feels like a, a baby face has been given an unfair advantage against the heel in the match in which she won the belt. You know what I mean? Yeah, the only thing I can think with with Jade that I think it will be good for her to not have the belt is now she can actually, you know, when AEW are doing house shows and stuff, she can go and do matches and she doesn't have to be harpered by this winning streak anymore. You know, she can keep getting better and better and better. And hopefully by, you know, this time next year, it will be regular that you praise Jade Cargill matches. I'm not sure that's going to happen. But, um, well, you know what, if the matches deliver, and I mean, there's some good stuff in here. She did like a springboard yeah. um, and... Uh, into Taya got knees up. I think they, I don't know they're trying to do a code breaker or whatever, but it didn't matter. It actually looked really good what they did. And there was a couple of dodgy moments later in the match from Jade, but I thought overall she did well here. Um, and she looks like a star. I she she really, carries herself like a star. Yeah, I thought she really she was in position for most things. And the fans were, you know, when Jade kicked out the road to Valhalla, that was a genuinely, you know, exciting near. I mean, so they built to that. So congrats to them for um, you know putting something together that really did provoke some emotion. But I just felt like Statlander coming out. I would have preferred it if Statlander had come out. Issue, you know, said, "Oh yeah, I want to face Jade," and then Jade had just fled, and then they could have had the match on Dynamite, or maybe built it up over a period of a number of weeks, and then she could have dropped the belt. And it just felt to me like there was too much, too much happened here, and they kind of threw it away when this could have been spread over a number of shows. Uh, well, then we had the, the four-way for the AEW world title, MJF defending against Darby Allen, Jack Perry, and Sammy Guevara. I thought Sammy's, you know, entrance with the tie, and they've got a baby on the way. Congrats to them. That was really nice. But Darby Allen's Elvis thing was really fun. Uh, that was a really fun video that he did. Um, 
so obviously these four guys were kind of hampered by the fact that the story wasn't really clicking on TV. We've talked about this quite a lot. Um, so they yeah. did the match in the end. I thought it, it went over really well on the night. I know you'd said kind of going in, you thought this one was probably going to deliver on the night, even though the story wasn't up to much. How did they do on the night trying to kind of claw back the lack of interest in the story with the match? Um, I mean, I like the finish. I thought that was, I thought that was expertly done. I thought that was, that was to me, there's the highlight of the match was the finish. Um, you know, Darby uh, did a coffin drop on Jungle Boy, and just before he did, MGF uh, placed the uh, world title belt on top of Perry. So Darby Allen did the, hit the title belt, and Allen sold the back, and then MGF dived in and did the headlock takeover, and that was the one, two, three. So I thought that was very smoothly executed by all concerned. Um, I'm not really sure who really benefited from this match. Um, I think they did the right thing, putting it in the semi-final spot. I'm pleased it didn't close the show um, because there's no way they were going to be able to follow all the carnage that followed in Anarchy in the Arena. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, MGF kind of humiliated Alan, didn't he? Yeah, it doesn't really feel there's a rematch. Yeah, it doesn't really feel there's a rematch on the horizon for you know. It doesn't feel like it's now going to lead to Alan and MGF in a one-on-one. Yeah, I mean, Sammy's now a baby face. Jungle Boy was, I mean, he's just oozes like arrogance, doesn't he? I mean, he's hopeless as I've written and said. He's just hopelessly miscast as a baby face. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say about it. I mean, I think it was quite well done, some of it. But again, the booking just, it's just so muddled and nonsensical to me. MGF outsmarts all the faces, retains the belt. Where does he go next? What does he do next? What do his three opponents do next? And this just once again just shows, you know, Tony Khan's it's just all superficial, the booking. I just don't think there's much thought that goes into it. I just I just don't think he gets it. And you look at that match, you're like, okay, well, what have we achieved here? What does everyone do next? How can one of these three challengers justifiably demand a rematch on Dynamite on Wednesday? So I'm just at a loss, really, to, to explain what the purpose of all this was, unless it was to... You know, make MGF look like this. I mean, he's like the he's the heel, he's the villain, but he outsmarted the faces. That's not the way it's to happen. <laughs> I did uh, before we move on. I did see a very funny uh, headline yesterday on a, a Jungle Boy must have done an interview, and the headline was Jungle Boy has no interest in acting, doesn't go to the movies. I mean, everything <laughs> you hear about the guy, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine hanging out with him? Oh God. <laughs> Anyway, um, I mean, I've got, well, you know, at least he's a realist. At least, yeah, at least, at least he knows, yeah, he knows his lane. I don't think he's got any acting talent at all. So, uh, I mean, Maybe. at least he's accepted. He knows his limitations, Kenny. There you go. Maybe it'll grow. Well, and just finally, uh, Anakin, the arena main event, the elite against Blackpool Combat Club. This, of course, was absolute mayhem. <clears throat> we had the, the band playing uh, Wild Thing for like 20 minutes again from, as last year. And then the big bit at the end was <clears throat> Takashita uh, being revealed as the unmasked man who ended up costing Omega the match. He's with Don Callis. Um, so the BCC get the win. Uh, what did you make of the main event? This this is one of those matches that I think feel for some people it's really 
you know, it's their kind of match, and to other people, it's really not their kind of match. Um, so I think it could be a marmite type uh, <laughs> level of level of uh, reaction to it. Uh, where did you sit on the marmite scale? Um, I mean, I mean, let's let's just talk about the violent idols. The band was out there. Now, does he wear? Was he wear? This is the band that played Wild Thing over yes. and over. It just never ended. They're like some pub band. Where did <laughs> we find these jokers? And like, what's the singer? I believe was he wearing a black mask, or, or or did he have blackface, Kenny? What was what 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 was the, it was, what's the it story? Was, it was a black mask, but it did look like blackface, which was okay, which was alarming. You know, it's not. I mean, this is before your time. I remember the black and white minstrel show. It ain't half hot, mum. And all these other shows that you could never put on television now, and rightly so. And (laughs) disguised, they're effectively out in blackface in May 2023 (laughs) with AEW, which is supposed to be this right on wrestling company. So I'm just astounded by that. How was that rubber stamped, Kenny? How was that rubber stamped? How was that given the green light? I'm just astounded. Because apparently, apparently, if you Google the band, like he does wear masks. He wears wears a white mask sometimes. He couldn't have worn a white. I I guess the elite kind of had white as the color. And then Blackpool Combat Club had black as the color. Somebody should have been like, can you just not wear a mask for this one? Or can you wear a red mask? Or like something that's just like not black. Any color except for black. Anyway, what did you make of the match after after the wild thing? What did you what did you make of the match? Um, it was. I mean, it didn't seem like. Did it seem to you like Brian Danielson was taking it easy out there? Yeah, he's not. I mean, he, he wasn't going full pelt. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder what's going on with him. Some, you know, he hasn't been wrestling much lately. He's been taking it easy, and that was. When was the last time he had a? I'm gonna I'm gonna actually Google it now. When was the last time he had a one on one match? Was it the the revolution match? Yes, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been the MGF match, couldn't it? I don't know. Let me have a look here. Let me answer the question for us so we know before we we go any further. Uh, Yeah, the last last match he had full stop was 5th of March, the Revolution Ironman match. I thought it was. So almost three months, so something must be going on. Mm, I mean, if you remember, he missed Forbidden Door last year, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, so. Mm, I'm not sure what's going on there. I mean, I'm I don't mind these matches at times, but it's I don't know. I mean, Matt Jackson stood in drawing pins. He had a lot of drawing pins in his barefoot. I mean, there's no need for that. I mean, it just felt like gimmicks for gimmicks' sake. I think I did like the finish. With uh, Takashita turning heel, I think that's a good move for him. I think he's actually a really likable babyface, but they've beaten him, and it's like they don't really seem to really have a plan for him as a face. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean they've got a plan for him as a heel either. This is AEW, Uh, but I think he's more it's more interesting as a heel at least temporarily. I'll give him a chance. Hopefully, they've got a plan in store for Takashita. I think he's a, a I've said that before and written about that before. I think he could be a he's world he's a world champion level guy. Um so yeah, lots of action, lots of blood, lots of gimmicks. I mean, you know what to expect from these type of matches. Does do you think this sets up blood and guts, Kenny? 
in the rematch in which the elite finally score the win and exact retribution. I mean, it yeah. seems like it might be heading in that direction. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, feel, it feels uh, like it is. I th- and I think, I think to be fair to the Boxing Omega, who I am sometimes critical of, I thought they did really well in this in trying to match the Blackpool Combat Club's level of violence because it's not something they yeah. usually do. So I, th- I think props to them for getting out of their comfort zone and doing something which is not in their wheelhouse usually. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. It's. It, I mean, I don't really... It's a strange match to me. And um, it's just we, we seem to... On the undercard, there'd been a, you know, we had the unsanctioned match. It felt like we'd seen a lot of, we had a ladder match. It felt like we'd had a, a lot of extras, a lot of gimmicks. And this was just like gimmick mania in the main event. So I didn't really need any more gimmicks at this point on the show. And this had a surplus of gimmicks because that's what people demand from these matches. Um I mean, yeah, these matches don't really move me anymore. I was a huge fan of these matches in the late 90s, Kenny, or even the mid-90s, maybe mid-90s. By the end of the late late 1990s, I was feeling hardcore wrestling fatigue. It just was starting to feel kind of played out and dated. And here we are in 2023, and we're doing these ECW-style matches. So it's hard for me to really get that excited about them um, because I just feel like I've seen it all before. Um but I mean, the guys went out there and they they made the effort, and I like the finish. I really hope Takashita um, gets a shot in the Blackpool Combat Club, and this isn't just a you know type of situation where all the attention's on him for one week, and then he has like one TV match, and then Tony loses interest and moves on to his you know next project. I hope they have a long term plan for him. So, and if they do, then you know what we'll look back on this as saying that this was actually a really good match in terms of storyline and character development and a big step forward for uh, for the new member of the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, yeah, but yeah sure. we'll see, Kenny. Well, listen, that's all the time we've got for today. We hope you've enjoyed us dissecting these. And, you know, we've got plenty of exciting stuff to come. Forbidden Doors in a month. Then we've got Money in the Bank. So there's lots of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, and hopefully Danielson will be on Forbidden Door. Um, but yeah, listen, that is all the time we've got for today. Inside the Ropes magazine, is you can buy our new issue, issue 33, with Gunther on the cover, the great cover that Mr. F. Martin put together at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com or your local news agent in the UK, W.H. Smith. Uh, or if you've got a local one, go and ask them to get it for you. They can do it for free, no problem. Um, and then Patreon is the best direct way to support us. We do podcasts over there all the time. Daily content going out at Patreon.com forward slash Inside the Ropes. So, Finn, we're going to be back on Thursday. Because yes, holiday waits for no man. I'm holiday be damned. We're going to podcast through it exactly. And let's just you know, big thanks to Kenny here for um, you know recording with me today while he's on holiday. Um, you know, this is his level of commitment to ITR. So um, just like to acknowledge that here, Kenny. So um, oh, I appreciate that. You know, good for you for um, you know keeping the uh, the listeners going with more content so yeah thanks for recording with me today as yeah it's been great it's been really good um it feels this feels way more enjoyable than you know not not watching for a week and then you know feeling that you're kind of out of the loop that doesn't really feel enjoyable for me so um yeah it's been really good to come and do this so uh, yeah we'll be back on thursday on patreon with power slam it'll be on the main feed on friday so thank you for listening everybody and we'll talk to you soon 